Hello, this is Pastor Bob Gray. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast here at Emmanuel Baptist Church of Longview. I trust the services will be a blessing to you. If I can do anything for you, please let me know. You can find our information on the website at ebclongview.com. Let's go right into the services of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Enjoy God's Word. I want to thank this church for many years of faithful support for the ministry that you just uh, we just talked about. Thank you so much for all that you have done down through the years for our ministry. Uh, Emily and I, this is my wife Emily, uh, are traveling now. We're, uh, I think last year we were in 54 churches in 29 cities and I don't have all the states, all 57 states as Barack Obama would say. And, uh, and not all of them, but uh, God has kept us busy and uh, we thank him for that. Please pray for us as we travel. Uh, we're in missions conferences, pastors and workers conferences. We get home this coming Monday at about noon and Monday night uh, we start our annual uh, pastors and workers conference, fires of evangelism conference. Uh, and it's all week long. So we have two weeks back to back uh, conferences. And then uh, on uh, the next week, I'll be teaching a modular course on uh, pastoral epistles in our college. We end up, uh, that's 7.30 to 11.30 every morning. And then uh, Monday or Friday afternoon, we go to San Jose, California for a conference there. So uh, we've been rather busy. Please, please pray for uh, Emily. She suffers from perpetual jet lag and uh, you can understand why. We still have a few books in English back there. I want to tell you a couple of, uh, about a couple of our books in Spanish. Um, this is, uh, and, and I'm telling you this because I want you to understand that that's part of our ministry is uh, uh, pu publishing books. Uh, this is a, a book I wrote, Why I'm a Baptist. Um, a lot of Baptists don't know why they're Baptists. This is in Spanish. And then uh, this one. Uh, help for your hurting. Ayuda para tu angustia. Uh, my wife Brenda and I were having just finished breakfast one morning and uh, the phone rang and a Spanish pastor here in the States said, uh, Brother Ashcraft, I, I was ready to give up. I was going to resign my church. And someone gave me that little booklet that you wrote, uh, Help for Your Hurting. He said, I read the book. I decided, I decided to re-enlist that was six months ago. My church is growing. God is blessing, and uh, I'm going to keep going. So when he hung up, I told Brenda, I said, uh, look for that book. Let me, <laughs> let me read it, see if it'll help me. And then uh, this is our, uh, the uh, uh, World Evangelism Manual. This is the course that we use in our college, teach you on world uh, missions. Bless you, baby. She's allergic to my preaching, apparently. And uh, this one is called the, the Good Wife and the Home. It's written by uh, my wife, Brenda. And uh, I'm teaching uh, Emily Spanish so she can read this, maybe to help her anyway. Um, thank the wingers for having us for dinner last night. We had a wonderful time of fellowship. And then uh, Mrs. Birch took us uh, and uh, Mrs. in to dinner tonight. Thank you so much. Brother Birch is sick. Please pray for him. Uh, we miss fellowshipping with him. And uh, thank you for all of your hospitality. Thank you for the beautiful room uh, and for the uh, a nice uh, snack basket, which is empty. And, uh, 
and for the fine cigars and the bottle of wine that was also in there. <laughs> hey, if you don't want to laugh in church, just go home. Our problem, this is the only place we go. We don't go to bars, we don't go to dances. We, so if we're going to have a good time, this is where we have to have it. Romans 15, please. I'm going to, I'm going to caution you about something. Uh, for years, as I traveled, I kept a running list of places where I preached and sermons that I preached there. And so I would avoid repeating a sermon, uh, preaching the same sermon in the same place. But God convicted me about that. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't do that. But a couple of times I have felt led to preach a message that I had already preached in that church and I did not do it. And uh, it turned out to be a mistake. And uh, as I studied for the message for tonight, uh, I, I looked at several different messages that I know I have not preached here, but God kept leading me back to this one. And I really don't know why but I don't need to know why. But I am convinced that this is what God wants us to hear tonight. When I pastor, I pastored 34 years, there were two or three sermons that I preached every year in my pulpit because they were truths that needed to be repeated. You know, you, uh, a, a housewife has favorite recipes that she repeats and that she serves again and again. And there are certain truths, I think, in the Bible that we need to hear uh, more than once. So, Acts chapter 15, I mean, Romans chapter 15, verse 25. Paul says, but I, now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we have heard tonight. Oh dear God, help us to reach the children. What a vast mission field is represented by children. Thank you for that wonderful song that touched our hearts. I thank you for Brother Ethan. Thank you for the burden that you've laid on his heart for that needy country spiritual deep freeze that needs someone to take the gospel. Thank you for Brother Lyons and what a wonderful testimony. How you have used him and continue to use him. What an exciting thing to be a part of a conference like this and a church like this. Now I pray that for the next few minutes you speak to our hearts. Open our eyes to what we can do not only to reach the world with the gospel, but just individually to have meaningful lives, lives that make a difference. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The horrible condition of this world, and I don't think anyone would deny that this world is in a horrible condition, is an indictment against the negligence of Christians in the cause of preaching the gospel to every creature. All that's going on in this world, 9-11, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Muslim Brotherhood, 
narco-trafficking, human trafficking, domestic violence, the deterioration of the home, political corruption, sexual perversion, school shootings, mass murders, and, and more are proof of our failure in obeying the Great Commission. Most of these evils could, be, could disappear with the extension of the gospel. Paul says that he took a, an offering to the poor saints which were in Jerusalem. The First Baptist Church in Jerusalem was a great church. It was the church that Jesus established. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Schofield, you are wrong. The church was not founded on the day of Pentecost. The church already existed on the day of Pentecost. It began during Jesus' earthly ministry. Charter members were disciples who had been baptized by John the Baptist. It was a Baptist church, not because John the Baptist baptized them, but because of what they believed. What they believed was Baptist doctrine because what they believed was Bible doctrine. It was not called Baptist. We did not choose that name. It was given to us because we refused to accept unscriptural baptism. We were first called Anabaptists and then rebaptizers because we rebaptized unscripturally baptized believers. It was an independent Baptist church. It was an independent fundamental Baptist church. It was an independent fundamental soul winning Baptist church. It was an independent fundamental soul winning separated Baptist church. And it was a great church. And there are several things that make this a great church. Look at verse 31 of Acts chapter 4. This is, this is a new Bible. Brother Grave gave uh, Brendan and me a new Bible as he did several of the missionaries. And uh, so I'm not used to using this Bible. So if I go a little long, you can blame it on the new Bible. Acts chapter 4 verse 31 says, and when they what? Are you looking at it? And when they what? When they prayed, it was a praying church. Real prayer is the recognition of God's power and my weakness. It is an exercise in faith. So we could also say that this was a church that had great faith. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. We're still in verse 31. It was a spirit-filled church. It was not a charismatic church. It was a scripturally spirit-filled church. And look at what they did with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they spake the word of God with boldness. That is the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The, reasons mo the reason most Christians don't win souls is because it is a spiritual work. There is no Holy Spirit power. Soul winning is a spiritual work. It is not a work of the flesh. I I've, I've heard people say, well, anyone can get somebody to say a prayer. Really? Well, then why don't you do it? Uh, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time getting Christians to pray, much less a sinner on the street. And anybody that says that does not win souls with much consistency. Then verse 32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. This was a unified church. They were 
as yet there were as yet no divisions in the church. There were no contentions. You know why? Because it was a soul winning church. Nothing makes for a unified church like soul winning. Let me illustrate this. Uh, I, need, I need a man that has a baby in the nursery. Somebody, a dad that has a baby in the nursery. Raise your, just raise your hand. Right over here. What's your name? Jason. Jason? Hey, Jason. I know Jason. Yeah, it's Jason Moore. How old is your baby, Jason? Ten months. Thirty. Ten months. Ten months. Wow. Uh, okay, let me see. Uh, I need a skinny guy. What's your name? What's your name? Let's suppose that Carter and I have a disagreement. And I pick him because I think I could whoop him. <laughs> so, so we're gonna we're just gonna we're gonna settle this like men, okay? Let's just get our coach off and just uh, hey Carter, where do you want to go shop? Hey, what, what do you say we go find the nursery? That sounds like that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Okay, Jason, do, don't disagree with me. Don't mess up my illustration. <laughs> do you want us to go fight in the nursery? No. Why? The baby's in there, and your baby might get hurt. Yeah. I was using this illustration at Mexico City in Kevin Wynn's church, and I used uh, Ernesto Miranda, one of his assistants. And I said, Brother Ernesto, do you want us to go fight in the nursery? No. Why don't you want us to go fight in the nursery? He said, because I want to see the fight. <laughs> Jason does not want us to fight in the nursery because his baby might get hurt. Only a soul winner knows how much time and effort and energy it takes to win someone to Christ, bring that person to church, have that person make his, his or her public profession, get baptized, and then want to stay in that church. So the soul winner wants everything in that church to be great. When he brings his baby into the church, he doesn't want anybody fighting or having disagreements or bickering. He wants, he wants that baby to see everything that is wonderful. He wants him to hear the kind of singing that, uh, that we've heard tonight and last night. He wants him to hear the wonderful preaching like we heard uh, last Sunday. Uh, uh, you understand what I'm talking about? Soul winners do not split churches. Soul winners do not cause dissension in churches. Nothing unifies a church like soul winning. And then verse 32 says, neither had they uh, said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Wow. This was a church full of unselfish Christians. They had the right attitude about things. Things did not rule their lives. They did not live for the accumulation of material wealth. They used their wealth for others. Well, what a great church. Then verse 33 says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This was a doctrinally correct church. They had the right position on the fundamental doctrine of the church, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then it says they, uh, they uh, uh, gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This was a Christ-centered church. Do you notice that 
It doesn't say much about their programs or their activities. We think that this is what makes a great church, and we need activities, we need programs, but none of these things are mentioned here. What is mentioned is that they had right relationships. They were right with their Lord. They gave witness of his resurrection. They were right with each other. They had all things common. They took care of each other. And they were right with the world. They spake the word of God with boldness. They gave the gospel to the lost. This is a wonderful church. Look at something else. Verse 33 says, and great grace was upon them all. What grace? Look at verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the, play, the, the uh, prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. Wow. What a church. Everyone that had anything of value sold it and brought the money to the church. Can you imagine that? I don't believe there's been a church like this church since this church. Can you imagine that happening in this church? I'm reminded of a, a lady who called her pastor and uh, said, Pastor, I, I need your help. She said, my husband has just inherited a million dollars. And the pastor's thinking, man, what problem? <laughs> He's thinking about the tithe. She said, uh, but you know he has a weak heart. And I'm afraid that if he finds that out, that he'll have a heart attack and die. I want to invite you and your wife to come to our church and to our house and have dinner. And I want you to tell that to him in such a way that it won't be a shock. So he said, well, that'll be fine. So they went to the house. And uh, the ladies were, the men were in the, in the living room talking, the ladies were in the kitchen where ladies should be. Yeah. I think I just lost half my congregation. And uh, he said, uh, brother, I want to ask you a question. He said, sure. He said, what would you do if you inherited a million dollars? Oh, pastor, he said, I'm not going to have, nobody's going to leave me a million dollars. Who would leave me a million dollars? Well, but what, what would you do if, if, if they did? He said, got real sentimental. And he said, oh, pastor, he said, my, my wife and I love you and your wife so much. If I inherited a million dollars, we'd give half of it to you. And the pastor had a heart attack and died. <laughs> if you ever want to get rid of your pastor, just sell everything you have, bring it to the church. I'll guarantee you he'll die of a heart attack. Now, with all that in mind, with all these wonderful attributes, there's a comment in Romans 15 that for a long time bothered me. Paul says that the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia took an offering and sent it to the poor saints which are in Jerusalem. Did you ever wonder why or how the poor saints in Jerusalem became poor? Here's a church that Acts 4 says they had all things common. Neither was there any among them that lacked. What happened between Acts 4 and Romans 15? What brought on this poverty? Now look at how poor they must have been. Who sent them that offering? Look at the description of these Christians in 2 Corinthians 8. Moreover, brethren, we do, to wit, do you to wit the grace of God, or to know the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, 
The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Paul uses a term describing the Macedonian Christians that is used only two other times in the New Testament. Interestingly enough, it's used in this very chapter, verse, in verse 9, describing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who became poor, that through his poverty you might be made rich. These were poor people. I'm going to say something that you probably won't believe, and then I'm going to prove it to you. You do not know anyone who lives in deep poverty. Deep poverty means without hope of getting the most basic needs met. The fact that you know that person that you think lives in deep poverty, the fact that that person knows you means that he does not live in deep poverty because he has a hope for getting what he needs, you. Deep poverty means literally immersed in poverty. They were surrounded by poverty. In other words, they were poor and everyone they knew was poor. They were beyond any conceivable visible help. These people were on what today we would call the mission field. They were beyond third world. And these are the ones, believers in deep poverty, who sent an offering back to Jerusalem where it all started, where from, from where the gospel first began to be preached. You would think that this would have been a solid, substantial, well-funded church, and it had been. But they became poor. How and why did they become poor? Someone said that it was because of the famine, or perhaps it was persecution, or it was because they decapitalized, they divested themselves of the ability to earn money. Any of these things may have been a factor, but none of them explain away Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now I am, uh, <clears throat> I have been young and, <clears throat> and now I'm mature. Now oh, it says old. Uh, Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Neither does it explain away Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. By the way, God's plan for financing his work is not that you sell everything that you have and bring it to the church. And I just heard a collective sigh of relief. Because surely someone thought, this guy's going to preach a new doctrine. He's going to, no, you don't have to sell everything. God's plan for, for financing his work is for Christians to make available what they have to him. Uh, God does not normally ask a Christian to give all that he has, but he does ask us to make available to him all that we have. A Christian should not possess one thing that would be out of God's reach. That one thing that you have that you would refuse to make available to God is the one thing that you should not have, and it's the one thing that is keeping you from growing in grace. No Christian grows in grace beyond his or her willingness to obey God with his or her money. God's plan of financing is proportional giving, tithing. It is voluntary love giving, and it is sacrificial giving, and it is faith giving. All of these things enter in to the way God finances his, ministry, his work. Now again the question, why did the saints in Jerusalem come to poverty? 
Look at the last part of verse 35. We're in Acts chapter 4. It says, And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. That's where the problem is. These sincere, well-meaning, generous Christians were giving, but they used what they gave for the wrong purpose. They were using the church to provide their own personal material needs. And that is not the purpose of a local New Testament church. The purpose of a local New Testament church is getting the gospel to the lost. The purpose of your church is not to meet the financial needs of its members. A good church will meet its members' needs. But if that is all that it does, it is not fulfilling its purpose. The purpose of meeting your needs is to equip you to get the gospel out. And I'm not talking about your, I'm talking about your emotional needs, your, your spiritual needs, your family needs. But the purpose of your church is not to make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> I don't find very much Bible that makes me feel good about myself. All we, like, all we like sheep have gone astray. That doesn't make me feel good. Uh, uh, for all have sinned and come glory, short of the glory of God, that does not make me feel good about myself. The purpose of Bible preaching is to make you feel bad about yourself so you can get yourself right. Uh, <laughs> uh, my son Jonathan sent me a clip of a video of the wife of a pastor of a large one of these mega churches it's not a church but it's a they call it a church and uh, she, she was preaching and uh, Victoria said uh, oh I gave it away uh, said uh, whatever you do don't do it for God do it for you when you come to church don't don't come for God come for you when you give your money don't do it for God do it for you and then she said because uh, we all know, be careful when someone says, we all know. We all know that what makes you happy makes God happy. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What makes God happy is for a dirty, rotten, lying sinner to get saved, trust Christ as a Savior, repent of his sins, and get right with God. Now, this is why the saints in Jerusalem became poor. They used what was supposed to be used for the furtherance of the gospel to satisfy their own needs. That's what too many of us do today. We take what God intended to be used for the furtherance of the gospel and use it for our own selfish ends. We do it as individuals. We do it as families. We do it as churches. And when a church or an individual or a nation takes what God intended to be used for the furtherance of the gospel, whether it's money or time or equipment or personnel, poverty always follows. Financial poverty, spiritual poverty, emotional poverty, personal poverty. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine? Where's Brother Jones? Brother Jones? Okay. Did you see the video last night of people in Philippines? Did they look very prosperous? 
didn't look to me like they're very prosperous. Those people, they're on the mission field. Can you imagine, once Brother Jones gets to the, to the Philippines, Brother Gray calls him and says, Brother Jones, my, my church just can't, they, they can't pay my salary. And uh, Kelly and RG, are, they're, they're used to eating two or three times a week. And uh, could you take up an offering among those people and uh, send it? And you're looking at me like, <laughs> that could never happen. It did happen. I said it did happen. This was a well-financed church. This was a prosperous church. This was a substantial church. It was a large church. But they became so poor that they had to receive an offering from the mission field, from people who were in deep poverty just to survive. Truth is, God has given you nothing that he did not intend for you to make available to him for the furtherance of the gospel. That does not mean that he will take everything. But if I have anything that I would not be willing to give to God, I should not have that thing. And that includes time, it includes money, it includes talent, children, relationships, career, future, plans, you name it. It ought to be made available to God for the gospel's sake. God gave us one daughter, two sons, one daughter. She went to Hiles Anderson College. After she was there for four years, she called me one day and she said, Dad, no, she called me Daddy. She said, Daddy, um, th- there's, a, there's a young man that wants, me, wants to date me. And I said, Tammy? When you turned 15, you told me that I would be, I'd be the only man in your life. Oh, Daddy. And I said, what's his name? She told me. What's his name? Henry. Henry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, uh, Henry Gonzalez. So, I, I called Dr. Evans and I said, Dr. Evans, I need some information on a young man that wants to date my daughter. He said, Brother Ashraf, you have any information you want. I said, well, connect me to the, the uh, financial department. So a lady answered and I said, uh, can you tell me what condition Henry Gonzalez's account in, is in? She said, well, she looked, she said, uh, he's paid ahead. Okay. Uh, connect me to the, the uh, discipline department. So I said, how many demerits does Henry Gonzalez have this semester? And she said, well, so far he doesn't have any. Okay. Where does he work? She gave me the phone number of the place where he works, a foundry, an aluminum foundry. So I called him. I said, are you Henry Gonzalez's supervisor? Yes, sir. Uh, what kind of worker is he? If all of my... Uh, uh, employees work like Henry Gonzalez, I could do with half of the men that I'm. I tried everything I could to disqualify him. <laughs> Britt and I made an honest, I'm, I'm telling you, we made an honest effort to hate him. <laughs> and, and we couldn't. I, I preached for him in September and I, I was preaching and I said, if Tammy had allowed me to choose the man that she was going to marry, I would not have chosen him. 
and I'd probably made the biggest mistake in my life. So they got married. When, when they were dating, he said that he thought that God wanted him to, to start or pastor a Spanish work in the United States. I thought, well, that's great. I mean, a lot of Spanish people here need, need, need the gospel. After they got married, he decided that God called him to El Salvador. You do realize El Salvador is not the vacation paradise of the Caribbean. Matter of fact, it's not on the Caribbean, it's on the Pacific, but it sounds more romantic to say Caribbean. So they did deputation. Uh, Henry went to El Salvador to rent a house. He was there two weeks. After two weeks, he called me and he said, Dad, I'm, I'm ready for uh, Tammy and our, our first grandson, Daniel, by the way, who's on deputation to go to El Salvador. Uh, I want you to have him in your church and support him. Okay. And uh, fourth generation missionary. So I paid my own way to Mexico City, helped Daniel and, and uh, Tammy with their luggage and get through immigration and everything, and flew back home. And that afternoon, uh, we were sitting in the living room. I didn't have a television, but Brenda had hers on. And uh, <laughs> she, was, she was watching CNN. And under on the bottom of that little, you know, that little thing that runs across the bottom, little, little, little lines, it, there was a picture of a dead soldier lying in the street, swarm of flies. And in that little thing under the, it said, San Salvador, El Salvador, where my daughter, my only daughter, and at that time, my only grandson were landing right then. So guess what Papa and Granny did? We got on our knees and we prayed for our daughter and our grandson. And I think we mentioned the son-in-law too, I'm not sure. <laughs> and then we got to talking about God's will. I would rather my blonde-headed, brown-eyed, beautiful daughter be 3,000 miles away from me in the will of God than around the corner out of the will of God. Tammy worked four years on a bus route in Chicago. And we decided if God can take care of her on a bus route in Chicago, he can take care of her in El Salvador because there's more Salvadorans in Chicago than there are in El Salvador. <laughs> I'll be preaching at a missions conference. And uh, by the way, when my dad's first started uh, deputation, a great missions conference was when four or five or six people, young people or, or couples surrendered to the mission field. Independent Baptist didn't have any money back then. A good love offering was $50. It's not a good love offering now. <laughs> and all our missionaries said, thank you. <laughs> Nowadays, a young person comes forward and surrenders to missions. And you can pick out mom and dad. Dad does this. The mom goes, <laughs> I want to tell you something, if your, church, if your child surrenders his or her life for any form of full-time service, you should jump up and down with joy and thank God that your child is going to spend his or her life doing something eternal. Giving is not a matter of the pocketbook, it's a matter of the heart. The givingest people in this church are not the ones who have the most money. They are the ones who have the most heart. 
And the workingest people in this church are not the ones who have a lot of time on their hands. They are the ones who give their hands to their time. Please don't misunderstand me. First Baptist Church in Jerusalem was a great church. I don't want to say anything that would disparage that church or make you think any less of that church. It was full of great Christians. They filled all Jerusalem with the gospel. They were a giving, generous, loving, unified, separated, soul-winning church. But they turned in on themselves and they became poor. God help us to use what he has given to us to keep giving out and sending the gospel. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast of the sermons from Emmanuel Baptist Church of Longview. We trust that the sermons and God's word was a blessing to you and yours. Please visit us at ebclongview.com. If we can do anything for you, please let us know. Have a great day.